A Capital Trilogy. We're preparing you for a third special session in Austin. They don't like the development, and so, yeah, that, I mean, we're getting a little pushback from it. And a fast-growing development outside Houston just made it on the special session agenda. Plus, why President Biden gave the green light to new border wall sections in South Texas and how state leaders want to go further. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. With the impeachment trial and acquittal of Attorney General Ken Paxton now finished, it is deja vu all over again. Tomorrow, lawmakers return to the state capitol in Austin at 1 o'clock to work for another special session. With two already in the books, will this one mirror the quick exit by the House on the first special session on property taxes or the second where something finally got passed? Governor Greg Abbott's agenda sets out what he wants them to cover. At the top of the call, what he lists as education freedom. He added that he specifically wants legislation to allow for education savings accounts for all Texas school children. There's also an agenda item for border security. In addition to new penalties he wants enacted into law for those who illegally enter the U.S., he wants licensed peace officers to have the power to remove from Texas any migrants here illegally. That's currently only a federal power. He also wants added funding for border barriers. The governor added he wants to address public safety, specifically with Colony Ridge. This is something we'll explain more in a bit, but it is a development in Liberty County, northeast of Houston. There are allegations it markets land to undocumented immigrants and has crime issues. The governor also wants what he labeled as ending COVID restrictions. Specifically, he wants a bill prohibiting vaccine mandates by private employers. The removal of Congressman Kevin McCarthy from U.S. Speaker of the House this past week definitely has the ears of Texans. Candidates to be the next speaker met with the Texas GOP delegation in Washington to vie for support. And now some Texas state Republicans want to mount the same challenge against Texas House Speaker Dade Phelan. Ryan Chandler reports on the fight ahead for Texas Republicans. He's been an absolute disgrace as Speaker, so we're going to have to remove him, and they should. The Texas GOP turning on a top leader as some Republicans go after the gavel. We have wide open borders, we have no medical freedom, and we don't have education freedom. It should never have gotten here, and we need somebody in the speaker's chair who will pass the conservative priorities. Ryan Harrison is calling for Phelan's resignation. Representative, if not Speaker Phelan, who would you support for speaker? Look, there are a number of people in the Texas House that are conservative, but here's what matters the most to me. Texas voters uh, elected Republican leadership and they deserve bold conservative Republican leadership who will adhere to the principles of limited government, who will fight for individual freedom and who will not team up with the Democrats. Infighting, that's a symptom of the same intra-party feud that fueled McCarthy's removal. It's a national problem, but it's translated itself to Texas, obviously. Republicans are having an internal argument between mainstream uh, Republicans and what can only be characterized as populist Republicans. But Texas is not D.C. As Speaker Phelan warned members in January, fresh off a decisive victory. Words of caution. Please do not confuse this body with the one in Washington, D.C. And in Austin, it seems the votes are still on his side. He is their main fundraiser, and taking him out of the chair is, as, would be as foolish as uh, it was taking McCarthy out of the chair. 
uh, because you have to have a strong speaker to go out and raise the money to defend your incumbents. Let's bring in Capitol correspondent Ryan Chandler now. Ryan, I know you just explained why it doesn't seem like this would happen, but is it even procedurally possible to do this in a special session? It is possible, Josh, if not highly improbable that anything would come of it. Remember, we usually elect the speaker at the beginning of regular sessions every other year in Texas. We haven't seen a move like this try to come up during a special session. Now, the third special session of the year, but what that would look like is a member would bring a motion to vacate, very similar to what we saw this week in Washington, D.C., and if that got a majority of members, then it would vacate the chair. They would elect a new speaker. I don't see that happening. Dade Phelan still has uh, wide support in the House. Remember, he was elected 145 to 3 on a broad overwhelmingly bipartisan vote just back in January for his second term as speaker. Let's get into some of the topics for the session. We do know what a bill on those education savings accounts would look like, but we know public school districts have called for more funding. That's not on the call. Last weekend, Texas school superintendents banded together showing they will oppose any plan that means less money for public schools. The Texas Association of School Boards and School Administrators held its annual convention in Dallas. This time, school board members from districts of all sizes and political leanings addressed the media, saying plans to let parents use state money to pay for private school will make a bad situation worse. Texas ranks 43rd, 43rd in per pupil funding nationally. With all of its resources, Texas still ranks near the bottom in funding for public education. We're not interested in compromising uh, for vouchers to gain school funding. This is a hill that we're willing to die on. We believe so strongly in the public schools that we are not willing to compromise to the governor's agenda. One of the potentially more obscure items on the special session agenda has to do with a residential neighborhood coming under scrutiny. Colony Ridge, a residential development 30 miles north of downtown Houston, has come under fire by numerous conservative media outlets. The claim is it is a haven for illegal immigrants. Trey Harris, one of the developers, disputes these portrayals. He actually invited lawmakers to see the situation for themselves. They're not real happy about all the development that's coming in, they had a little, what they felt was a little quiet community that uh, of, of about 600 people. And uh, now we've moved 40,000 people in on top of them. And so they don't like the development. The local sheriff's office says it needs more officers to patrol the region, but described the crime rates as not any worse than other parts of Texas. The development broke ground 20 years ago. Harris notes that he also has donated more than a million dollars to Governor Abbott's campaigns. Answer one question on the border wall. The border wall, the money was appropriated for the border wall. I tried to get them to reappropriate, to redirect that money. They didn't, they wouldn't. And in the meantime, there's nothing under the law other than they have to use the money for what was appropriate. I can't stop that. Do you believe the border wall works? No. Just this past week, the Biden administration announced it will waive 26 federal laws in Starr County in South Texas to allow construction of the border wall to resume. The Department of Homeland Security posted the announcement, including waiving such federal laws such as the Clean Air Act, the Safe Water Drinking Act, and Endangered Species Act. The money for construction comes from federal funds appropriated in 2019 during the Trump administration. 
The new construction could add up to 20 miles of the existing border wall. But as with a special session agenda, Governor Greg Abbott continues to assert Texas has a right to pass border policy without the federal government. The Justice Department is still suing over practices such as the buoys placed by the state in the Rio Grande near Eagle Pass and razor wire added to the banks of the river. Members of Customs and Border Protection have cut the wire in places to allow migrants in for processing of asylum claims. When they are abandoning the rule of law, we cannot cooperate with them when we will not be an accomplice to that. Instead, we have to alter our strategies so that we, the state of Texas, are using every tool that we can to enforce the rule of law in Texas. Both state Democrats and Republicans want the state to do more. Eagle Pass native Eddie Morales is advocating for a new work program. Migrants who pay a $2,000 processing fee get to stay and get jobs. He says it could generate a billion dollars a year for the state. We need to make sure that we address the issue itself, and that's getting these folks and make, sending a clear message to Latin America that if they come into Texas, they will be asked to pay into the system, not take from the system. But it is not just Eagle Pass. Our colleagues at BorderReport.com noticed migrant traffic picking up in Brownsville in South Texas. Agents told Border Report nearly 4,000 who crossed illegally were apprehended in the sector just last weekend. In fact, the number of people stopped at the U.S.-Mexico border in some form or fashion is nearing record levels. The September numbers are still being calculated, but August saw more than 232,000 people logged by border agents. Last time it was this high was back in December. Anyone deemed inadmissible by the government now deals with a Title VIII expulsion. That means anyone who crossed illegally could be banned for at least five years from re-entering the U.S. Invoice did not exist until 7 p.m. on the 1st, after the whistleblow, after notice that people were looking into it. If that's so evident, why don't you put that in evidence? They never made it to senators, but they will see the light of day. We're looking at newly released documents to the public after never making it to Attorney General Ken Paxton's impeachment trial. Just over three weeks ago, the Texas Senate acquitted Attorney General Ken Paxton in his impeachment trial. It was only the third time a sitting public official ever got to such a political trial. While we know how not enough senators voted for his conviction, managers from the Texas House just released evidence deemed not admissible during the 10-day trial. The extra documentation names Laura Olson, the woman Paxton is accused of having an affair with. This evidence also includes information on Nate Paul, the Austin real estate developer who was central to the House's case for impeachment. Here's what attorneys on both sides said about the information going public. They're relevant and this entire process is about transparency. The case is long over. They lost. I'm not sure why they continued to try to litigate the case in the press. Joining me now is Capitol correspondent Monica Madden. Monica, give us a little more on these documents because we're talking about hundreds of pages, right? Yeah, Josh, that's right. The documents show more about the contracting home renovations for the Paxton's Austin home. And house managers allege the work was a bribe by Nate Paul in exchange for help with legal issues. Now, you might remember that Paxton's former personal assistant, Drew Wicker, he actually testified during the impeachment trial. And he said that he walked away with the impression that Paul was 
involved in the renovations of the Paxton's home, but ultimately couldn't prove that conclusively. However, these new emails reveal closer ties between the contractor communicating updates on the renovation directly with Paul. Here's what Aaron Epley described as a timeline of incomplete documentation from the construction company, despite it not being admissible as evidence during the impeachment trial. And the absence of evidence is evidence. There was no intention or documentation that suggested Ken Paxton ever had the desire to pay a bill, and there was no bill. The attorney general's legal team has noted that Paxton ultimately directed the head of his blind trust to pay for the renovations, proving no bribe. If that's so evident, why don't you put that into evidence? I guess they could have put into evidence had they had any relevance. So I'm not sure what they're doing. Now, I want to be clear that Paxton's personal attorney has said that the FBI is reportedly investigating his client, but the feds have not filed any charges yet. And of course, Josh, we know that Paxton denies any and all wrongdoing in this. Well, even though the political case is over, this clearly isn't finished. What's the latest on the original lawsuit filed by the whistleblowers from his office? That's where things get a little interesting, Josh. They petitioned to the Texas Supreme Court to get this moving back Six. along on the docket again, and the high court agreed that the lawsuit should be active again and made that kind of ruling. There was a settlement back in January for roughly $3.3 million between the Attorney General's office and those former employees known as the whistleblowers, but it hinged on the legislature approving that money since it would have been taxpayer dollars. And as we have reported, that's what started that initial investigation leading to the impeachment. So it's tough to say how this all will actually turn out, Josh. Now, the Attorney General was also supposed to see some movement this coming week in Harris County where he's facing multiple counts related to that long delayed felony securities fraud trial. What's changing this week? Yeah, Ken Paxton was set to have a hearing on Monday in Harris County. That was coincidentally the same day that this next special legislative session is supposed to start, but we actually just learned that that got moved to October 30th. And the reason is because Paxton's attorney, one of his lead attorneys, Dan Cogdell, has another unrelated trial that he is working on. So they had that time conflict, which is why the case got pushed back to October 30th. But at the hearing back in August, the judge said that they would likely be ruling on pretrial motions and possibly make a decision on whether or not to set this actual trial date for the securities fraud case. Again, Paxton has denied wrongdoing in this case as well. And this was that one where he was indicted back in 2015 for those security fraud charges. Josh. Right, Monica, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. How could you mix up these people? A daughter is calling for change in the nursing home industry, following what the state called an error after her mother's death. We look at the impact a new federal proposal will mean for Texas care centers. Eighteen months after President Biden promised to do more to protect people living in nursing homes, federal regulators released a long-awaited proposal. It features more oversight, efforts to expand the workforce, and unprecedented staffing requirements for all skilled nursing facilities. Avery Travis digs into the plan and how it could affect thousands of Texans. I was upset. Lori Mitchell still isn't sure how it happened. And it shouldn't happen. I mean, to anybody. An early morning phone call in January from a staff member at her mother's Round Rock nursing home saying that my mother had passed away and telling her to reach out to the funeral home. And I was confused because I had not given consent for anybody to pick her up. 
Hours earlier, state records show the family of a woman who shared a room with Mitchell's mother received a similar call about their own loved one. But the records say facility staff made an error. That woman was alive. How could you mix up these people? I mean, I understand mistakes, but that's a huge mistake. Mitchell told us she believed her mother received good care in the five years she'd lived at the facility. But last year, she began to worry after she noticed some longtime nurses leaving, prompting her to file a complaint with an ombudsman about the shift in care. Federal data shows that facility has a staff turnover rate of 80% in the last year. It's a trend across the state, where the average turnover rate in skilled nursing is 60% in the last year, higher than the national average of 53%. You have a shortage of direct care staff, and you have multiple providers that are all trying to recruit the same individual. More, more people are going to lose than win. The Texas Healthcare Association represents skilled nursing facilities. Its president says the group opposes a new federal plan to require facilities nationwide to provide residents with at least 33 minutes of care from a registered nurse every day and at least two hours and 27 minutes of care from a nurse aide, which is higher than the average staffing rates provided in Texas right now. The state doesn't have any required staffing minimums, though, the kind of requirement Kevin Warren calls one-size-fits-all. It doesn't take into account the social worker, the activity director, housekeeping, um, you know, the, the, the therapy staff, the dietary staff, volunteers, all of these other individuals that are in the building each and every day that are engaging. If the focus is merely on hitting a number, that's the wrong focus. And the federal plan goes even further proposing more facility inspection oversight and a closer look at how nursing homes are spending taxpayer funds to make sure enough goes to staff pay. The first thing you look at is compensation, that if you don't pay an adequate amount, you will not attract people from less demanding jobs. Uh, doing the kind of work that the nursing staff does in a nursing home is demanding work physically and uh, psychologically. Congressman Lloyd Doggett says he'd support more federal funding to make it happen. He's in favor of even stronger staffing standards. I'm not sure what the answer is, honestly. I just feel like something needs to change, and if I have a small part in making that happen, my mother would be proud. Sorry. We reached out to Mitchell's mother's facility for comment, but did not hear back. State records show, despite the mix-up, an inspector found the facility followed all protocols and did not violate any state codes, so the operation wasn't cited for the incident. Records show it also made several changes to prevent an error like this from happening again, including updating resident photos and posting more clear signs on residents' doors. Mitchell says part of why she reached out to us was because she saw our previous investigation, Hidden Harm, which looked into how the state decides whether to cite or penalize homes, particularly in cases of harm. It's worth noting another part of this federal proposal would analyze state inspections with the goal of ensuring the appropriate consequences are enforced for cited facilities. Federal regulators are currently accepting public comments on the new proposal before moving forward. That comment period goes on for another month. We've got a link showing you how to comment on the proposals inside this investigation online at the State of Texas page on this station's website. 
We want to make sure that childcare actually receives the attention that it deserves. The November election approaches. How you'll have a chance to vote on property tax exemptions to help childcare providers across Texas. Your vote, your voice. November 7th, Election Day, is just about a month away. Texans will head to the polls to vote on a series of constitutional amendments. One of them includes Prop 2, which would allow some property tax exemptions for child care facilities. Supporters say the property tax relief for facilities will help offset other operational costs, okay. making extra room in budgets for things like teacher pay. Facilities were able to lower their childcare property taxes, then they'd be able to keep childcare tuition rates steady. It's going to make a big difference when childcare businesses can actually write off property taxes, especially when there are high rates on those things. Voters will approve or deny Proposition 2, as well as more than a dozen other constitutional amendments. Reminder if you or someone you know still needs to register to vote, you better get on it. Tuesday, October 10th, is the last day for you to register. You can mail out a form from votetexas.gov and send it into your county clerk or stop by and complete it in person. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.